Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. And I think about what I would say to them. Like, I wouldn't say to them, you suck. You're a terrible mother. You should probably just go down a tray of brownies and drink a bottle of wine and give it up. Like, I wouldn't say that. I would say, you know what? Parenting is so hard and you're a great mom. And this is one day and we all have rough days and like, you can go reconnect with your kid. And this is part of normal parenting. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 166. Today, we're talking about self-compassion in the real world with Carla Nomberg. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course and the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans. Welcome back. Welcome, 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 dear listener. I am so glad you're here. You know, it is so ironic that we are talking about self-compassion this week because so this morning as I went to get today's podcast, I actually had another conversation queued up for you that we will hopefully get back in the future, but I made a huge mistake and I've had been having some technical issues and I had some trouble and I cannot find the recording of that conversation. And you know, as a podcast host, that's like, oh, like I get this feeling like in the pit of my throat. 
And you know that feeling when you make a mistake. And this is, you know, I've had made so plenty of mistakes in my life that are much bigger and much more consequential. But it's that feeling and this practice that we are going to talk about today, self-compassion, is the essential practice that helps me to, that I have to come back to in a moment like this. Like, oh, you know, I say to myself, okay, this sucks. You made a mistake. Okay, it's okay. And I talk to myself kindly. And that talking to myself kindly helps me now to turn around and come back and talk to you and have this other great conversation. So it's so kind of ironic that this all happened today as I made yet another mistake in my imperfect journey on this path. But, you know, it really is, we're really good at being hard on ourselves. And in for most of my life, I was really, really hard on myself. And in a moment like this, I would be really hard on myself and call myself all kinds of crazy names. And that just doesn't help. And so I'm going to talk in this episode. I'm going to invite you to come with me and sit down at the table. We're going to talk to Carla Nomberg. And we're going to talk about the antidote to that harshness, that self-compassion. And it is a kind of love that can be learned. And it will, I promise, it will make you become a more patient and calmer parent. And I want you to listen for a couple of takeaways here, okay? So I want you to listen for the fact that this is part of our brains. Our brains are just good at berating ourselves when something goes wrong. But that another takeaway for me, and I hope that you'll get too, is that the, that harsh inner criticism makes it more likely that we'll repeat our unskillful behavior. It doesn't actually help us. And we're going we're gonna to have three steps to practicing self-compassion for yourself and how to share self-compassion with our kids so they can grow up with this inside of them at a much earlier age, hopefully than, you know, or at a much earlier age than we may have had. So I can't wait for you to join me at the table for this conversation. And before we dive in, I just want to let you know that I am right now enrolling my small group coaching program, which is the Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Groups. And it is going to be a five-month group coaching program that runs from August to December. But I know it's, if you're listening in real time, that it's May right now. And we are enrolling now because I will be away in the summer. And so we are enrolling the groups now. I already have people enrolled. And if you would like to work with me and work on some of the self-compassion is a, just a piece of the amazing tools that we work on in the small group. So you get to hear other people's stories is so, so powerful. I invite you to go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching and listen to some of the people who have shared their stories and talked about their experiences and how this is so helpful and is truly, truly my honor to do this kind of work. And I'd love to work with you, dear listener. If you're listening, this may be some way that we can work together really in an intimate way. And it's it's really wonderful. So go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching and reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions about it. All right, now on to this conversation. Join me at the table as I talk to Carla Nomberg. Carla, thank you so much for coming back on the Mindful Mama podcast. Hi, Hunter. Good morning. 
Good morning to you. Yeah, that's my singing. Recently, by the way, my daughter made fun of my singing and it broke my heart. So sad. Oh, <sighs> my my kids, they like to sing and the other one reacts so quickly by saying, stop it. Like they just have this immediate and it comes out so fast that it's it's amazing. Like nobody sings in our house anymore because everybody just shuts everybody down. So sad. It is sad, right? I don't know how to deal with this. So dear listener, yeah, it's like a whole other topic. Dear listener, if you have little kids who you can still sing to, just appreciate that for us. Sing it, sing it loud. Because once you get like tweens, they don't want to hear it. Oh my God, it's so sad. I had to tell her how sad I was. And she she apologized for making me sad. That's good. (laughs) Anyway, but that is not, we are not here to talk about kids singing to our kids, regardless of whether or not we can keep a tune. <laughs> we're here to talk about self-compassion. So this is something I think we're both pretty intimately familiar with is the, the practice and the art of self-compassion. But I, I thought it might be helpful first to dive in with this. First, Carla would be thinking about what is the problem, kind of what's the default mode that human beings by, you know, in general that we're in without self-compassion, right? So like, why is this needed basically? Do you have anything you want to start us off with that? Yeah. So I'm not going to talk about, oh, Hunter, I just realized we didn't introduce each other. Do people know who we are? They know who you are. Oh yeah. I forgot to introduce you. I introduce you in the, in the intro, Carla. You do? Yeah, I do. Fancy intro. Amazing. But actually, no, no. Actually, with everyone else, you know, I introduce in the intro and you, I always say, Carla, introduce yourself. That's why you're confused. And so I'm confused. I'm like going against protocol. So Carla, (laughs) the the listener who's listening to this for like the first time is like, what the heck is going on with this podcast? We're just showing them that we're we're real, real people as perfect as we may look on social media. Because I know we do. We are real people and real mothers. We are really, really real. So Carla, will you introduce yourself then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my name is Carla Nomberg and I'm a clinical social worker and parent coach and I've written three parenting books and I'm so excited, Hunter, because my third one, it's up for pre-order on Amazon. So the book is called How to Stop Losing Your with your kids, although I use the word, but with a pretty little asterisk in the book. And it's really about like managing our tempers and not losing it with our kids. It's super fun, funny, full of good stuff. So folks can click over to Amazon and pre-order it. And one of the things they will find when they get there or when they get the book, which they will get in August of 2019, is that we talk about self-compassion. So I'm so excited to talk about that here with you today. Wasn't that an amazing segue back to our topic? Yes. Well done. Well done. And Carla, I saw someone on Instagram posting a picture of Ready, Set, Breathe the other day. Oh, that's so sweet. That's my, that's my second book. It's about teaching mindfulness to your kids. And that was also a super fun book to write and a super fun book to research because I got to talk to parents all over the country who are finding really creative and fun and amazing ways to introduce their children to the concepts and practices of mindfulness. And it made my little heart all warm and fuzzy. Like, you know, like I swallowed a sweater. It was amazing. <laughs> you swallowed a sweater. That's, somebody said that one, <laughs> the warm and fuzzy thing. And now I can't 
ever not think that when I use the phrase warm and fuzzy. <laughs> that sounds so gross to me. I'm oh, like picturing you like, pop, like popping it up like a cat with a hairball, oh, like God, with a fuzzy God. thing down your throat. <laughs> no, that's not what I was going for. I mean, I know that technically when you swallow things, they don't like go around your heart, but work with me here. All right. I'll try to replace that image, but that's pretty stuck in my mind. <laughs> Like you in the sweater hair wall. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to have a little compassion for myself in this moment when you are teasing me about my hairball sweater, which is actually a very reasonable thing for you to tease me about. Sorry, I'm a really visual person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so self-compassion. This is funny because in our culture, I think we... I think we, in general, we, we are so achievement oriented, like in, in the United States and in Western cultures, we're so achievement oriented. I think we're so competition oriented, you know, like it's just this, I think it's also this this masculine culture, right? Of competition and beating the other person and things like that. So, and also we come from a really, I guess, kind of a patriarchal kind of authoritarian culture too. So like, this idea of being kind to ourselves doesn't seem to come naturally to people in the West. Would you agree? Oh, I totally agree. Whenever I think about this, I think about like the sort of stereotypical football coach, and I've never actually played football. So this is entirely from movies, which we know are 100% accurate. So I feel really comfortable saying this, but I feel like they're always like, they have the player's best intentions at heart, but really they just yell really mean things at them when they don't work hard enough or do poorly. And but like in the movies, those are always the teams that are like the scrappy little underdogs and then their coach harasses the crap out of them and then they end up winning the whole season. So I feel like there's very much this, at least American narrative around like tough love, which actually just can often sound like somebody saying really mean things to you. And so I think for many... Americans at least, and and I don't know if this is just part of human wiring because I don't know if this exists as much in other cultures, but I think at least in Western culture, I, I feel like our brains get really good at berating us when we do something wrong and immediately jumping to this narrative where like if we don't achieve our goals or we make a mistake, that our brain's response is like, you're terrible. You really screwed up. Why are you such a loser? And everyone else is getting this right. And look, it was the way I lived. It was the language. I think so many of us grew up speaking and I don't know where we learned it, but for many of us, we did. Some of us maybe learned it from our parents. Some of us maybe learned it from teachers or friends or I don't know. But I think for many of us, it is very much the language we grew up speaking. And for me, it was really the way I spoke to myself in the early years of parenting. I, I would often, you know, if I, if I lost my temper with my kids or sort of made some real or perceived parenting mistake, I remember very clearly like thinking to myself, I'm a terrible mother. Oh yeah. Me too. Oh my God. What an awful thing to think. Like if I would never say that to one of my friends, Mm -hmm. even if they had done something like epically stupid or actually legitimately screwed up because we all do. Right. But I would never say that to one of my friends. And if one of my friends said that to me, I'd be like, are you freaking kidding me with that? Like who who says that? And yet I was totally saying it to myself. 
Yeah, I was saying that too. I remember the same exact thing. I'm, I'm a terrible mother. Those were the exact words in my head. And it doesn't, didn't help very much. <laughs> it didn't help very much. Like the whole tough love idea. You're right. It's like that we have this tough love narrative that we're going to just be like, oh, you suck. And then we're going to kind of fight back and say, no, I don't. And we, dun, da, da, dun, da, da. But yeah, I'm a terrible mother. It didn't help me fight back. It kind of helped me. It left me like in a complete puddle on the floor, like completely helpless, completely not parenting very well at all because I was just felt helpless and I felt horrible and I felt like I couldn't do anything right. So why even try? Yes, 100%. And for me, the time when I was most likely to think that thought was after I had screamed at my kids. Yeah, and me too. The problem was, is then, then I would go like put them in front of the TV or something. Cause I was like, I can't deal with them. And I would go find chocolate and I would like <laughs> shove the chocolate in my face and think I'm a terrible mother. But the thing is like, this is the time when, and I didn't realize this at the time, but putting them in front of the TV wasn't the worst choice in the world. Like better they watch Daniel Tiger than have their mother scream at them if I really couldn't manage myself. Right. But that should have been a time when I was like calming myself down, getting myself together, sort of, you know, taking care of my basic needs so that when the show was over, I could have a little bit more patience, a little bit more bandwidth to deal with their shenanigans. But instead, I was getting myself hopped up on sugar and I was like sending myself in this downward, horrible feeling shame spiral. So then I don't feel any better. And once they get off the TV, you know, we watch the show, we turn it off. I was just as likely to snap at them again because like we really can't harass ourselves into a better mood or a calmer place. It just doesn't work that way. Like you just feel worse after somebody yells at you and it doesn't matter if it's somebody else or if it's your own ridiculous brain. Yeah. I love that. We can't harass ourselves into a better mood. It's so true. No, I'm, I'm curious. I'm thinking about like women in general, like, because I'll, you know, a lot of the listeners are women. Like, do you feel like, cause I feel like in men, they like maybe that narrative of like the, the mean football coach is like, ah, and you, you know, that they're taught to like, to keep going and compete and all that stuff. And we're kind of taught to rather than to kind of be brave, kind of when women are kind of taught to be perfect, right? We're supposed to be good all the time and to like get things right all the time. And so I'm wondering that whole idea of like, I mean, I know that was there for me. Like I can completely relate to everything you said about like, I'm a terrible mother and I would go into this shame spiral and things like that. And I feel like as a person who's, you know, very much an American, like, achiever, you know, I was the one who, when my husband told me what his grade point average was in college, I, like, worked like crazy to, like, beat his GPA, you know. Did you beat it? <laughs> I did, yeah. Yeah! <laughs> Sorry, Bill. We love you. Sorry. Well, he, he was a philosophy computer science double major, to be fair, while I was an art major. So. Art is hard, okay? Because <laughs> it's, like, super subjective. Yes. And with computer science, you just have to write a bunch of letters and numbers. It's fine. Yeah, it's super, <laughs> super easy. Um, but, you know, that whole idea of like, you know, that achievement, like getting getting the A and things like that. Like, I, and, and when I felt like when I was in that place of losing it at my kids and I felt like, oh, my God, I'm a failure. You know, it was that whole perf- that whole like you have to do well at everything stuff came up for me. Did it come up for you? Oh, 
Yeah. And look, I, I think about this in two ways. First of all, when we think about gender roles, I think for men and women, and I'm making a gross generalization, and if this does not apply to you, you're right. But when I think about men and women, I do think about sort of societal expectations and gender roles. And what I see is that for women, even though more women are like working outside the work outside the home, so more women have like full-time or part-time jobs than they ever did before, and more men are more fully involved in parenting. So even though we're seeing a shift and a little more balance in terms of like what, and I know I'm talking about heterosexual couples, okay, but even though we're seeing a little more balance in terms of what the men and women are actually doing, the reality is that women carry more of the emotional load for the family and more of this sense that their their parenting is like super, it's super tied into our identity where I feel like there's still this sense that even for dads who are highly involved, it's still like, oh, good job. You went above and beyond dad. Like, hey dad, you're going to babysit your kids? And it's like, I mean, that's offensive to dads. It's not just offensive. It's offensive to dads. Like my husband takes our girls to the grocery store and everybody thinks, like he's doing me a favor and I'm like, no, he's the one who cooks in our family. Like this is not him being sweet. This is just him doing what needs to be done and being sweet. But you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it is about societal expectations because where I see men also struggling with self-compassion is in the workplace because that really gets to their identity as a provider. And so I want to be clear that I think the self-compassion struggle, I really see as affecting both men and women but it can be different depending on what role they're in in life. The other thing is that I do think we women, it's, it's taken on a whole sort of different feel for a very specific reason. Um, in many parts of the country, women are having children much later in life than they used to, which means that many women already had a professional career before they became mothers. And when you sort of spend the formative years of your or some of the formative years of your life, so you're like, you know, mid-20s, maybe your early 30s, in a career, you develop this career mindset, which is that it's very achievement-oriented, it's very goal-oriented. If there is a problem or something I don't know, I will go out and learn it, and I'll study, and I'll get, you know, supervision or coaching from my superiors, or we'll hire a consultant, and we will solve the problem. And when I solve the problem, people will be happy with me, and I'll get a good performance evaluation, and then I'll get... Um, a promotion. Mm -hmm. And so many women, I think, take that mindset into parenting. Mm -hmm. And so if there is a problem with our children or something about the family dynamic or the way we're raising them or our own perceived parenting, you know, this is a problem we're going to solve is the headspace. So I'm going to hire a consultant or I'm going to do all the research or talk to a coach or talk to a therapist or whatever. And Look, I love that energy. It's amazing. I mean, parents are working so hard today to do a good job for their kids. The problem is that many of the problems of parenting and of child development and of life, they're not solvable. Like some of them for sure are, but many of them, you kind of just got to muddle through. Mm. And so when we're bringing this like fix it mentality to basic struggles of human nature, like how do I get my kid to stop having a meltdown? Like, hi, never going to happen. Your kid will have meltdowns. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Like we parents feel like fa failures, because, especially mothers, because we have failed to fix an unfixable problem. And I think that's where also another, in addition to the fact that most of us didn't grow up 
learning how to speak self-compassion, how to treat ourselves with compassion, we're now in a situation where we have set ourselves up for failure and then we really beat ourselves up for it. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. We have these expectations. Like our kids are like these extensions of ourselves, right? Like our our sense of self is really tied into who our kids are and how they behave. And when our kids are behaving well, we feel really proud. And when, when, when our kids are, you know, having difficulties, we, we feel like what's wrong with them because we also, because what's inside when we have difficulties is what's wrong with us, that inner critic. And so that when we're, when we have all this like self-criticism inside, that, that really tends to come out, you know, kind of what's inside is what comes out is what I say to my clients a lot. Like what's inside is what comes out. And, you know, when we are squeezed, if we have like harsh and meanness inside, that's going to come out. And so, you know, it's hard to be accepting of the normal, completely normal difficulties and problems and anger and, and you know, meanness and stuff of our kids when we can't deal with it, we can't accept it in ourselves. That's right. Absolutely. And it's not only does it feel bad when we speak horribly to ourselves and berate ourselves and tell ourselves we're failures and terrible mothers or whatever, not only does it feel bad, it also makes it more likely that we're going to keep repeating that unskillful behavior that we don't want to be doing. And I think that happens for two reasons. One is, like you said, I love this. I was, when we were at our first retreat together, Hunter, you looked at everyone and you said, 
what do you get when you squeeze an orange? And they looked at us like we were idiots because like, it's such an obvious question, but you know, yes, you get orange juice. Right. And I thought that was the best metaphor. So that you just said, whatever is inside us when we get squeezed is what comes out and our kids squeeze us all the time. So if we're filled with, you know, resentment and frustration and rage, even if it's directed at ourselves, when our kids come up and pull whatever insanity they're going to pull, that's what's going to come out at them. And I think the other problem is that when we're spending all our time berating ourselves, that's time we're not spending trying to like get curious about the problem and understand what happened and understand what we need or what our kids need or what else is on our plate in life. Like not just parenting, but job related, extended family related, financial issues, like all these things and so then we haven't managed to somehow address or change or create space for whatever else is going on. And so we're still stuck in the same situation, but we're somehow expecting ourselves to behave differently, which again, like that's an unreasonable expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. So thank you. I, I really, I love that. Like not time spent, not that's time not spent getting curious about our situation, and our needs, because that's really what we need. That's so, so true. And there's, you know, sort of wonderful, people have actually done like tons of wonderful research about this. You know, I was looking at um, in Stanford Medicine, you know, they're looking at the, they have a center for compassion and research. And, you know, there's this incredible infographic done by Emily Sapala and Emma Sapala. And she talks about, you know, self-criticism and how basically, you know, when when our self-worth depends on out-competing others or like kind of achieving constantly, we become insecure and anxious and self-critical and that adds to our misery. And, you know, the criticism leads to us feeling crushed. It leads to in that, that competition feeling leads to isolation and this sort of separateness. So these are, there's all these things that are kind of hooked in there, right? Like when we were telling ourselves, I'm a terrible mother with our kids, not only were we not getting curious about our, the situation and the needs of ourselves or our kids, we are also kind of separating ourselves from others, right? We are like saying, this is just me, I'm alone and all of those things. It's funny because it's like, we're, we have this natural negativity bias as humans, you know, we know that the, the brain is more prone to pay attention to negative things, but it really doesn't help us that much in, you know, it did help us when we knew, you know, we could pay attention. We really paid attention to where that bush of poisonous berries was like a hundred thousand years ago. Like we really needed to pay attention to that, but it's not serving us that well right now because it actually is just this, it's kind of putting us in this, in this spiral. Totally. I, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, and that ability to make a distinction between the negative things that are actually worth paying attention to, like, I mean, you know, the modern day analog of the poisonous berry bush is, you know, peanut butter crackers. If you've got a kid with a nut allergy and thank God for our plant, you know, our brains that can remember to ask that question, remember to pack your kid the nut free cookie so that, you know, you don't get some kind of anaphylactic reaction and, or a meltdown. And so it's great. Like I'm, I'm really glad our brains developed that way and would do well as a human species. And I think we're headed in this direction to get better at paying attention to when our brains are taking the negative stuff too far, when it's not skillful, and developing some strategies for not heading down that road 
of self-criticism when it doesn't serve us. Amen. Amen. So we want to share with you this, this self-compassion. You know, there's like, it's really wonderful. They've, been, they've done wonderful research about this in the last few years. You know, specifically Kristen Neff did a ton of research on it. And she has an incredible book, um, Self-Compassion, that I highly recommend. Um, but talking about what is self-compassion and why, you know, how does it help? And it's pretty amazing. Like, actually, the research is is kind of cool. Before you kind of go into it, I'd just love to share what they've discovered, like, through researching it, some of the benefits. And they've realized that self-compassion builds greater resilience. It builds sort of strength. It builds happiness. They've also done, they know that people who've received self-compassion training, they feel less depressed and less stressed. They all suffer from less maladaptive perfectionism, which I love the way that's put. They feel less shame. They have less performance anxiety, body dissatisfaction, eating disorders, and chronic pain, right? So this idea that when we hold our suffering, when we hold our pain it, in a sense of kindness and care and connectedness, it really reduces these states of mind that can be pathological and that can can increase our suffering. Like those states of mind that, you know, the idea of the shame and the criticism, things like that, the, the Buddha called those the second arrow, right? We have a we have a wound. It's this sort of parable that they, they tell in Buddhist circles is that you have a wound. You know, you receive some sort of wound, right? Because we can't go through life without pain and difficulty. That's just part of it. But we have this wound and then we shoot a, a second arrow right into the pain of our wound. And that is our criticism and, you know, that our shame and our anxiety and all of those things. So self-compassion is really shown by research. It works, you know, to, to really reduce all of these things. It's pretty awesome. And, and yes, I mean, the research is incredible. And the other piece of research that I particularly love about self-compassion is it doesn't just reduce unnecessary suffering, but it also is a powerful way to change our behavior. And I think one of the things people worry about when they hear about self-compassion is that it's sort of like letting ourselves off the hook. Like, oh, I yelled at my kids again. Well, it's no big deal, whatever. And that's not, as we will get into, it's not what self-compassion is about. And what researchers have found is that when people can have a compassionate response to themselves in the aftermath of a poor choice, whether it's yelling at your kids or, you know, messing up your diet or smoking a cigarette when you're trying to quit, that people are actually much more likely to change their behavior with this compassionate approach. And the example I always use, and women especially always get it, is that, you know, you start a new diet and two days later, you find yourself in front of a box of Oreos and you eat an Oreo. And your first response is, I suck. I can't believe I did that. I'm never going to lose this weight. Everybody else is more amazing than I am. Everybody else is thin. Diets work for everybody else. I'm the worst. I'm the only one. Like we all have our own little inner monologue. And what we know and what every woman knows when I say this in a talk, they always are like, okay, is that when you talk that way to yourself, the next obvious step, the thing we all do is to shove the rest of the Oreos in our mouth. That's just what happens. But what Mm. I think really resonates with people and what research has found is that when you say to yourself, oh, shoot, well, I made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes. Dieting is hard. Losing weight is hard. If it wasn't, there wouldn't be a bajillion dollar dieting industry and we wouldn't have overweight people in America. It's okay. Like this is hard for everyone. And when we can have those thoughts, we are like far more likely to throw away the Oreos or put them back in the cabinet. So 
self-compassion isn't just about how we feel and what we think. It's actually also about what we do and how we behave, which is awesome. Yes. Mm, now you have me thinking about Oreos and I really like the double stuff ones. I'm really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? It's all about the frosting. <sighs> oh, Hunter. <laughs> oh my God. I need a <laughs> I would not have thought that from you. I really don't find that acceptable in any situation, but I, all these years I thought I knew you and now you're okay. Let's listen, go. listen, I'm still drinking the green smoothies and the green tea, but I, you know, occasionally. No, first of all, I don't, I do drink a green smoothie now. I'm trying to be a grown up, but I don't drink green tea and I don't eat double stuff Oreos, but I'm having a lot of compassion for you. Cause I realize that, you know, nobody's perfect and some people eat double stuff Oreos. Yeah. Sometimes. So what you said, though, has, should be underlined. Like this actually helps us be, change our behavior. Because actually, if you think about it, it's, it makes so much sense, right? If you mess up, you make some mistake, and then the the voice in your head is like berating you and calling you a horrible person. Like you're just going to want to do everything you can to avoid avoid problem solving that, right? Which is like, you know, just like you said, like numbing maybe with the rest of the box of Oreos, right? But if you make a mistake and the voice in your head is like, is offering you kindness, is offering you, you know, is is not making you more stressed, but is actually helping you become a little less stressed and helping you realize that life is hard, then you're able to then actually say, okay, life is hard. I can make a, a new choice. Like it's just when we, when we have that kindness, it's easier to just pick ourselves up and move on, just like you said. But it makes so much sense. And, and the research has proven it. So let's talk about how, what, what is self-compassion? Because you're like, okay, I'm nice to myself. What does that mean? But the first step that is really, I think, important to self-compassion is that, you know, is mindfulness, right? And we can't, because the truth is like, if we can't, help ourselves with the, sort of the other two steps of self-compassion unless we are understanding what is this inner voice saying to us like because and the way I think about this is like that inner voice you know the thoughts that we're having like we when we're in it it's like we're under a waterfall we just are in it we just identify with the words we just hear the voice that it just is the we feel like that's the truth of this moment and things like that and when we practice mindfulness we practice to bring our attention back to the present moment. We practice to notice the thoughts and the feelings, but we don't identify them. And it's kind of like you're stepping out in front of the waterfall and looking at the water rather than being under the water, right? So we have to be able to be able to see and have awareness of what is the reality of this situation. Like we can't solve a problem that we cannot see. Right. So we have to be able to say, oh, okay, look at what's happening for me. This is happening again. Oh, hello, criticism, old friend. I see you there. Oh, okay. This this whole criticism berating thing, this is happening again. So it's we have to be able to be mindful of our emotions and our feelings without being in them. Like this is the complete truth. So that may mean saying, like, Rather than saying, I'm a terrible mother, it may mean saying to ourselves, I'm having the thought that I'm a terrible mother. Mm -hmm. And you can really feel the difference in that, right? Like, I'm a terrible mother is like a complete statement of like, this is the truth, this is the way it is. But when we take that step out and say, I'm having the thought 
that I'm a terrible mother, then we're saying, okay, this is a thought that I'm having. And that is just so much more reasonable, just so much more workable, right? So we have to be able to, to see it before oh, we can do anything else. Completely. And look, before I could see it, I had to have sort of two mind shifts that are kind of fundamental to the mindfulness practice that kind of blew my mind. I'm using the word mind a lot. One was this idea that our thoughts are not reality. Just because we think something doesn't mean it's true. And as someone who is, you know, a trained psychotherapist who has spent many hours on both sides of the therapy office where I either pay someone or accept someone else's money for the sole purpose of like dissecting their thoughts and understanding, you know, what does this thought mean and where does it come from and what does it symbolize and to have somebody just say to me, sometimes it's just a thought and it's BS. It's not even true. Like I can sit here and think all day that the sky is green and it's just not. And when somebody said that to me, like, it's just a thought. It's not necessarily reality. You can hang out with that thought or not. Like my mind was blown. I mean, I really, it took me months to process and understand this because it was so fundamentally different from everything I had been raised to believe about my thinking. And when we can understand that, that's the first step to sort of noticing our thoughts and then realizing that we can step away from the waterfall. Like we don't have to stay underneath there with water like pummeling us. So that was one of the first things that I needed to understand that would sort of lay the groundwork for self-compassion practice is that just because I had a thought that I'm a terrible mother, that doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Generally our thoughts are like, if you pay, start to pay attention to your thoughts, and I'm really glad you clarified that, Carla, but if you start to pay attention to your thoughts, like you realize like, like my thoughts, like there's so ugly, <laughs> you know, like for so all of us. My thoughts are bonkers. It's like the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all there, but yeah. we don't have to we don't have to act and behave from that place, but it's really, it's really eye-opening to start to observe our, our thoughts and see, see what the actual thoughts are. And when we think, oh, I'm having this thought, you know, that, that maybe, you know, that is harmful or mean or what, all those things, like we have selfish, we have, all of us have all of those thoughts in our heads that are, you know, of the whole range it doesn't mean this is who we are. It's just, this is just part of the human experience that we all have these thoughts. It's part of, if it's in your head, it's part of the human experience. And so we don't have to judge ourselves for our thoughts. And that's also part of mindfulness is that idea of curiosity, right? Like, okay, I can be, I don't have to be judging these thoughts. I can just be bring this idea of, you know, this attitude of curiosity, like, okay. And so this is kind of what we're inviting you to do listeners kind of, instead of, judging and condemning yourself, bringing this, this, uh, this sort of mindset of a scientist or like a researcher into like, well, what is really happening for me? Right. So that mindfulness piece, do you want to talk about the, the other two pieces? Yes. And before we do, I want to jump into one other mind Mm. shift for me that was really powerful. Oh yeah. Yeah. Please do. I didn't mean to cut you off. (laughs) No, no, it's, this was also a huge shift for me. And this, it's this idea that every feeling is okay. Like it's fine. There is no wrong feeling. Some of them feel awful. Like some of them are deeply unpleasant and barely tolerable, but there's nothing wrong with any of them. There is never a feeling you should feel bad about, even if it's rage, even if it's shame, even if it's like anything, any Mm -hmm. feeling is okay. Now, not every behavior is okay. And part of self-compassion is sort of helping us get a little distance between our feelings and 
our behaviors. But if you say to yourself, I'm so angry at my kid right now, like I'm feeling so angry at them, I'm feeling like I just want to get away from them. There's actually nothing wrong with feeling that way. And in many cases, there's nothing wrong with getting some space from them either. I mean, unless you're like in the car or something. But once you can get to the place where you can really believe that even if a feeling feels terrible and it's not how you want to feel, that it's actually okay, what you'll find is that the feeling will pass sooner because all feelings have a beginning and a middle and an end and eventually they end. It may, yeah. when, you're, when you're deep in it, it can seem like it's going to last forever, but I promise they don't. Yeah. When you're not fighting it, it goes away faster. Like it's like our feelings are like toddlers. Like they need to be seen and heard before right. they will leave they will you alone. The, the, <laughs> they will nag the crap out of you until you, I'm trying not to swear, until you see and hear them. And then they're like, oh, I'm good. Now I'll go away and do some, another horrible thing, whatever. But so, so yeah. So when you notice the first step is really like this mindful approach, sort of noticing what you're thinking, noticing what you're feeling and being like, all right, it's like an imaginary waterfall. It's not even a real freaking waterfall. Like with a real waterfall, maybe you can't walk out from underneath it because you'll slip on the rocks or something, but it's an imaginary waterfall. Like walk away, right? And then when you're in that place where you can see what's going on, the next step that I think we can talk about is just be kind to yourself. Like just be really nice and kind to yourself. And I say this to so many people in my coaching practice and often the response I get is, I don't really know what that means. Like, what would that look like? What, like, how do you do that? And I get it because I'm essentially asking people to speak a different language. Mm -hmm. And if they haven't grown up speaking this language of kindness to themselves, it's like, I don't know how to say that. I don't, I literally don't have the words for that. And I hear people say this to me all the time and I get it because when I first heard this, all I could think of was the Stuart Smalley character from Saturday Night Live who would put on his little cardigan and sit in front of the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And I was like, I'm not doing that, you know? It was like, didn't, I didn't have any other models. Like, nobody ever taught me this language because my poor parents, they didn't speak it either. Not their fault. And so what I always say to people is imagine you're talking to a really good friend mm -hmm. and she calls you up and she says, I just had a horrible moment with my kids. And thank God I have a really good friend who does this. And I have you Hunter, like, you know, I'm so grateful for my friends who are vulnerable and transparent about this because it's helpful to me. And I think about what I would say to them. Like I wouldn't say to them, you suck. You're a terrible mother. You should probably just go drown a tray of, down a tray of, brownies and drink a bottle of wine and give it up. Like I wouldn't say that. I would say, you know what? Parenting is so hard and you're a great mom. And this is one day and we all have rough days and you like, you can go reconnect with your kid and this is part of normal parenting. And so I would say that to them. If I was with them, maybe I'd be like, Hey, let's go out for a walk if we can, or like, let's turn on a really funny movie that makes us laugh. Or let's just sit on the couch under a comfy blanket and get something like yummy to drink and just like be nice to ourselves. Or maybe I'll say to my friends, can you get a massage this week? Can you go for a walk? Can you somehow get a date with your parenting partner? Like, is there something you can do to not only speak to yourself with kindness, but also treat yourself with kindness? So that's how I think about the kindness piece. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. 
Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what I think too, is like, we can think about it if it's somebody else, like if it's a good friend and things like that. And sometimes I think when we're, that piece of touch really helps too. Like if we can touch a hand to our cheek or touch a hand to our heart, that place inside of us that's gets stuck in shame is often like a really young place. Like we get kind of thrown back to when we were seven years old and we got made fun of for whatever, you know what I mean? And so that place, that younger place in us really responds well to touch. And and that idea of just touching a hand to the heart, it's a physical gesture that can really make a lot of difference. Like, okay, touch a hand to the heart. This is hard. You know, parenting is hard. You know, acknowledging how challenging this is for us, you know, just, just acknowledging like this is hard can make a huge difference, right? Just to say, it's like you're seeing and hearing yourself. You're acknowledging yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and acknowledging and accepting yourself. Yeah. Being like, yeah. it's okay that it's hard. And so what I say to people who are really struggling with this, because again, it can feel like you're speaking a new language and the words kind of get stuck on your tongue and you don't know what you're doing, is I say, what can you do to spend more time with people who will speak this language to you? Like, Mm. who are the friends? Who are the family members? Who are the people in your life? What are the podcasts, hint, hint, that you can (laughs) do? What are the books you can read to start to learn this language? Mm -hmm. Because this is a practice. And the more we practice it, the easier we'll get but it's really hard to go from like total self-trashing to self-compassion. And so again, when you find yourself getting back into that whole old headspace of like, I suck or whatever it is, please don't beat yourself up for it. Like that's the exact opposite of what we're going for. Just like do whatever you can to fill your awareness with some kind of compassion. Like Write yourself a note when you're in a good headspace that you can go back and read in tough moments. Like, you know, if you have like Mindful Magazine, they have great articles on self-compassion or just grab Kristen Neff's book, Self-Compassion. Or again, call like call up a friend, turn on this podcast, do whatever you have to do so that you're, you're sending thoughts and ideas 
and forgiveness into your mind. And then if you do that enough, you will start to speak the language yourself. Yeah. You're building a muscle, you know, just like everything, anything, it's a practice. And you're, you may have been practicing like self-criticism and self-judgment really hard for a long time. So that might be, it's normal, you know, it might be very understanding that we can see that it's a strong habit energy to be, you know, judging and to be self-critical, but we can also what we practice grows stronger. So as we practice this kindness, it will go grow stronger. And it may feel like you're hacking through the wilderness at first <laughs> it, because you are. This might be new to you. And so it might need a new language and that's okay. It's okay if it feels awkward. All the feelings yeah. are okay. I love that, Carla. And then step three. Do you want to lead us into yeah, step, step three? three is the best. Step three is the best. Uh, Kristen Neff identified it as common humanity, which is just fancy talk for reminding yourself that you're not alone in any of this. And for years, I, my crazy brain somehow managed to convince me that I was literally the only parent on the planet who lost it with her kids. And this is like triply insane because as a clinical social worker, I have literally worked with so many parents and families where I knew the parents were having a really hard time parenting and they were being emotionally and physically and verbally abusive to their kids. And I had seen it, you know, it was, my parents screamed at me, like I have firsthand observed and been the recipient of parental screaming. And yet when it was my turn, I would somehow think of all my friends who also had young children and just really be 100 convinced, like pinky swear, hand on the Bible, that none of them were ever yelling at their kids. And I do not know how my brain did this to me. Mm-hmm. But once I started finding a way to remind myself, and again, a lot of it was about hanging out with people who could be transparent about it, who could acknowledge that we all lose it sometimes. Once I could remind myself that parenting is hard for everyone and we all struggle with it at times and we all lose our temper with our kids. I mean, I wrote a book called How to Stop Losing Your S with Your Kids. I wrote the freaking book. And I still lose it with my kids sometimes. And that's okay. Like it's, we're not going for perfection, but we're just trying to reduce it when we can. And when we know, when we lose it anyways, as we all do, like listeners, please, if you are in a bad moment and you're having a hard time with the common humanity, just think of Carla and be like, well, even if no one else on the planet loses it with their kids, I know Carla does. And so therefore, you know, you are not alone. Sometimes I think of it like this way, like how many people are on the planet? Like seven billion right? So at any given time, like there's almost guaranteed to be like at least a million other people feeling whatever you're feeling right now, you know? <laughs> because I mean, it's so true, but oh. just the numbers. <laughs> it's like, you know, so we can, and really what that is, is it comes back to that mindfulness. So it's like catching ourselves in that feeling of I'm, I'm what's wrong with me. Okay, I'm having that thought of what's wrong with me. And let me interrupt it. And as soon as you interrupt it, that's awesome, because you're breaking that, you know, that habit of thinking, right? So that's really like a win to interrupt it. And then, you know, and then saying, okay, well, if how can I water the seeds of this common humanity thing? Okay, actually, there are a lot of other parents right now who are feeling this way, you know, Hunter said like a million. So there are a million other parents right now. And, and one of them is Carla, of course not. <laughs> and when you remember that, it just, it diffuses a lot of the shame and isolation 
you know, it's kind of like when we were kids, nobody put seatbelts on their, like we were all making a terrible parenting. I wasn't, I wasn't a parent back then. I would never make that parenting. You know, like every parent back then, we didn't use seatbelts, but at least everybody else was doing it, right? There really is some mm-hmm. relief in knowing that like, yeah, I'm a really flawed human being, but we all are. Like every single one of us is flawed. And when you can find the people you know, the fellow parents that are going to be honest with that about you. I mean, I I remember going to a parenting group when my daughter was like six months old and I was a mess and I was like postpartum anxiety and like no clean clothes. And it was just, it was a huge mess. And there was a mom who would show up every week in like a strapless sundress and her hair was blown out and her nails were done. And there was nothing wrong with that except like, I was like, I can't, you're not the person who's going to support me right now. Cause I need someone who's going to show their more vulnerable side. And maybe she would have, maybe like, maybe I was being too judgmental. And if I had actually connected with her on a deeper level, she would have shared whatever her struggles were. Cause I know she had them. But when she showed up looking like she had her a game on all the time, I was like, I need somebody who's going to have breast milk all over their shirt, just like I do. <laughs> and so like, that's not to say that people who somehow manage to really put it together and look like they have it together, there's anything wrong with them. But if you're in a place that you're really struggling with self-criticism and self-doubt and shame, like I would encourage you to do what you can to find the people who are going to be really vulnerable with you. And the trick to that is you got to be vulnerable with them. And then that gets into issues of like trust and boundaries, which we will talk about on another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Brene Brown talks about this. Like you want to speak your, speak your shame, but you have to speak your shame to where it's safe, right? You can't, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, I, I teach skillful communication and sometimes part of that communication about when somebody's not meeting our needs is like being open and vulnerable. And and sometimes I found, especially people of older generations are just not used to they're just so used to that attitude of winning an argument that it can be hard. And sometimes we have to protect ourselves. So, so yeah, be, be mindful of who you can be vulnerable with, but yeah, you, we have to find those people. Oh my God. Shout out to my friend, Josie Marsh, who I, we were able to just say how frustrated we were and how, you know, we were losing our stuff with our kids and how difficult it was. It was, it was an incredibly valuable thing to have when I was really struggling. I mean, we really, really need that. So yeah, find, find those people. So step one, notice what you're feeling and thinking, that mindfulness. Step two, be kind to yourself. And it's okay if this is awkward at first, but I have to tell you, like, the fruits of this are amazing. As we can start to accept that we're going to be human, accept that we're going to make mistakes, and, you know, that everybody does the whole idea of self-compassion, like it's what's inside comes out when we're squeezed, right? Then when other people are struggling, when other people, even your children or other, other parents or whoever, like when you see other people struggling, that compassion does really come out of you more easily. I'm definitely now in this point in my life filled with so much more compassion than I was, you know, than, and I had a lot more judgment, you know, years ago. And it really feels, it really makes a connection with other people, right? Rather than separating us. And that's really what is, it makes the most well-being in life. It's, it's awesome. I mean, I don't know, what would you say, Carla, as far as like 
having been practicing this now for a little while and how is it affecting your life? Uh, it's, it's a game changer. I mean, mindfulness in general has been a game changer and this is a super game changer. And I'll tell you a couple of examples. I mean, it really has become, mm, I wouldn't say a native language yet, but I'm much more fluent in it. And so when I snap at my kids, I am far more likely to just like my instant response now is, is not, I'm a terrible mother. Like, I don't think I've had that thought in years. It's, okay, this is hard. It's a hard day. I'll be more likely to remind myself like, hey, I didn't sleep last night or, you know, I had to deal with a very stressful situation with work or family or whatever, who knows. And it's okay. Like, I just need to get through tonight and then tomorrow's another day. And when I do that, I am far less likely to then turn around and snap at my daughter. So I'm more patient with them. Um, I'm more patient and sort of forgiving of myself. And excuse me, I'm far less likely to like lose it with any of us, lose it with myself or my kids. And so parenting honestly feels a lot more fun. And it's not that everything about parenting is fun. Like I still have to nag my kids to hang up their coats and put on their shoes and where's your homework folder and like all of these things that are are challenging in parenting. And I have to deal with their hard emotions and when they feel really angry or sad or confused. And I have to deal with the to-do list that feels like it's never going to end. I mean, it's not like it's like fairy dust was sprinkled on my life and all of a sudden it's easy or you, but it feels easier because I'm not hitting myself with that second arrow. Like when I forget something now, I'm just more likely to say, Oh, well, like we all make mistakes. I made a mistake. That's okay. And the example I I use when I'm talking to clients is, you know, let's say you walk into a room and you get halfway across the room and realize you forgot to flip the light switch and turn on the light. Well, hopefully you're not standing in the middle of the room going, Oh, I'm the worst. I am pathetic. I just, I screwed it up again. I can never remember to turn on the light in this room. And then I'm always in the dark and everybody else can remember to turn on the damn light. No, you just walk over and turn on the light. And that's really more of a place that I've gotten to in my parenting, which is when I forget to be kind or forget to be patient or don't have the reserves in me to do whatever, I'm far more likely to just be like, okay, it's a hard day and that's okay. So my kids are going to eat pizza in front of the TV for dinner because that's what I can do tonight. Or I'm, I'm not going to get this piece of work done because I want to be with my kids and that's what's going to happen tonight. And when you can move through your day like that without the additional like internal monologue of, of you suck and everybody else doesn't, life just feels so much easier and more pleasant, even if you're still dealing with all the same challenges you were before. Yeah. Yeah. And you still get stuff done. And you know what Carla's saying, that's, that's absolutely, you know, I've been working, I work with this with my clients and we work with this in mindful parenting. And, and that's exactly the same experience that so many people have is that, you know, surprisingly, when we, when we're softer on ourselves, when we offer ourselves this kindness, when we uh, do practicing self-compassion, it really does like, it's like you're taking all of this fight out of the system. And then there is, there's more room to, to be present, to really see what's happening, to be with your kids. And it, it makes everything a little bit easier. And that's, that can make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. And, and the other thing I've started to do is to say it out loud. When my kids were little, this was very much an internal process because I was still really struggling with it. And I didn't feel confident and I didn't feel comfortable sort of talking out loud. 
but my kids knew that I was tense and stressed and yelling at them. And I mean, they were really little, so they didn't really know it, but they felt it on some level. And now I am far more likely to say to them, guys, we're all having a bad day. And when we're having a bad day, like that's okay. Everybody has bad days. There's nothing wrong with having a bad day, except it feels bad. So let's be a team and figure out where, how we can help each other. Because when you're having a bad day, like you need someone to help you. And so like in that process, I've reminded them the common humanity, everybody has bad days, sort of the mindful awareness, like, yes, acknowledging this is a bad day and like figuring out that kindness, like how can we support each other? And inevitably the girls are like, well, we could have screen time and then you could just go do what you want. <laughs> it's like any angle for screen time. And sometimes we do do that and they're right. Like that's why we don't watch TV every day because I need to save it for the days when I need it. And by just sort of naming it, it takes some of the kind of pressure and stress and tension out of it. It's no longer an elephant in the room that's like towering there waiting to step on us. It's like a cute little playful elephant that we can like cuddle. Mm, I've yeah. never cuddled an elephant. I don't know if that's pleasant or not, but let's go with it. Oh my God. You're bringing me back to that gross like sweater swallowing thing. I did not say anything <laughs> about this. See, that's your crazy brain. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I really want to knit you some kind of sweater that makes it very clear it's meant to be swallowed and like send oh it to you. I'm that picturing like fuzzy gray mohair, like really long. <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, oh. if you have a pattern for like a sweater that says swallow me or something, can you like put it on Hunter's social media and he'll find it there? <laughs> <laughs> OMG, Carla. OMG. I love that. I love that you shared how to how to share it with your kids. So I feel like self-compassion, you know, I'm all about mindfulness and mindfulness is part of self-compassion, but like n- almost nothing else can be done without this as a foundation. You know, we need to be able to take risks and solve problems and then be able to co- go outside our comfort zone and then have a, a kind place to land to, right? It just makes all the difference in the world to your parenting, to your relationships, to even like taking risks and doing different things in life that you want to succeed in. Like it really is a foundational piece that I I just hope this um, is encouraging you to take some of these pieces and practice those three steps and and take them home and make them a a practice in your life. And then, you know, when you mess up, you practice some self-compassion. Totally. Yeah. And it really is. And, and, be gentle with yourself in the process because it really is like learning to speak a new language and you are going to get the words wrong sometimes. And that's just another opportunity to practice again, right? Not anything to feel bad about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Carla, thank you so much for coming on again. You definitely get the award for most mindful mama appearances. I would like a certificate. (laughs) I'll work on that. Where can people find out more about you and about pre-ordering how not to lose your beef at your kids? Yeah, people can go to my website. It's Carla with a C, CarlaNomberg.com. You can also Google it on Amazon. There's going to be, it's going to be amazing. It's a super fun and funny book and there's a whole section on self-compassion and I would be psyched if people would check it out. Yay. Thank you The publication date is, is August, 2019. So that's when it will arrive at your door. Woohoo! So exciting. Hunter, don't you have a book coming out? I might. Raising Good Humans is coming out in December 1st. So Raising Good Humans. And guys, I I will tell you, I got to read it um, (laughs) 
an advanced uh, copy and it's awesome. Oh, thank you, Carla. That means a lot to me. You're like my, my writing author hero friend. (laughs) You're like, take my hand and we're like, come with me, Hunter. You shall write a book too. Here you go. I will help you. And I really appreciate totally all how I talk when I talk about books. That's actually it. <laughs> Come with me, Hunter. Take my hand. It's hard <laughs> to make two hands when you are holding one of them, but we will make it work. <laughs> no, you guys, I couldn't have done this book without Carla. She's amazing. And she wrote the forward for Raising Good Humans. So, and I'm so excited about her book. I'll be getting one of those pre-order books. So go ahead and do it with me. Woo-hoo. All right. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you, Carla. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that this conversation helps you and I hope that these practices help you. If you have uh, takeaways and thoughts, I hope that you'll start the conversation over in the Mindful Mama Tribe private Facebook group and you can join that at mindfulmamamentor.com. And if you want to work with me deeper on things like self-compassion and skillful communication and more, just getting yourself from thriving, right? This is what I love, love to do. I'm opening the Mindful Mama Transformation group, coaching groups, and that those will be in the second half of the year, but they're enrolling right now. So if you want to talk to me about it, you can email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. And you can learn more about it at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. So I hope you will check it out. It is an amazing way to take this one wild and precious life that we have, right? And stop just, you know, making it so we're surviving every day and really get to a place of thriving, of having great relationships. Our kids only are young for so long and it really makes an enormous difference to do the work now, pays amazing dividends and forever after. It's really, really powerful. So learn more about that at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I hope you have some sunshine and fresh air. I hope you have some snuggles with your kiddos, whatever age they are. And I hope you have some quiet, peaceful moments as well. All right. Thank you so, so much for listening. From my heart to yours, namaste. Are you a mom who wants to feel less stressed and enjoy motherhood more? Do you want to be calmer with your kids and be more present for all of your life? I'm a mom who has gone from really being stressed and yelling when my kids were young to having a more grounded, more at ease relationship with life and having more enjoyable cooperative relationships with my kids and I've shown hundreds and thousands of women around the world how to do this and I want to show you how to do it too. So if you are currently feeling stuck or stagnant this is definitely for you. I've created a free downloadable audible training mindfulness for moms the superpower you need and it will show you how to respond rather than react how to let go of stress and feel more grounded in seconds how to have a smoother day today and become more present for your kids for a lifetime. To get on on this audio training absolutely free, simply visit the website www.mindfulmomguide.com.
everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking